You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Revelation chapter number 13, and we're going to continue along the same thought as we started last Wednesday night. And uh, I've been studying and been praying and been listening and been watching and been reading. And uh, there's a lot of things. And just pray that we can compile information and get it in a way that it's understandable. And also that it's in the time frame that we have. I do believe that we are living in the last days. Do you believe that? I really believe that. And I believe if you look and you look on every front, whether it be, uh, whether it be the educational front, the economic front, the social front, or the religious front, all signs point to the fact that this thing is winding down. It just is. That's just where we're at. Uh, even here before the service, was talking to some of these young men, and I was shocked. They actually had a halfway spiritual question. It's the first time ever. Neither one of the Foley brothers ever said anything spiritual to me. But they were asking me, they said, do you think when the trumpet sounds, we'll be able to hear it? I said, well, not you, but the saved folks will. But it's uh, <laughs> not what I said, really. But uh, I said, you know what? I'm not sure. But the trumpet blows, and there's a shout. So I, let me get real deep. I reckon we might be able to hear it. Why else would he shout and blow a trumpet, right? But they're thinking about that. Because that's just where we're at. And tonight I want to try to, to speak to our hearts and help us. Maybe it's a little bit more information than it will be inspiration, but I pray that it'll help us tonight. Revelation chapter 2, and you don't have to turn there, and Revelation chapter 3 is where we really are in this series. But some of the things that are happening in the churches of chapter 2 and chapter 3 snowball, evolve, grow, metastasize, whatever you want to say, and lead, I believe, to what happens in Revelation chapter number 13. In Revelation chapter 2, they talk about the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam's doctrine is basically, you do whatever you want. It talks about the teachings of Jezebel, that is seduction. And basically, it's the same thing, you do whatever you want. These things will evolve, by the way. It's not that it's going to happen, it's that it is happening right now. Sometimes we talk about a one-world religion and the, the uh, spirit of Antichrist as though it's going to come. It is at work in the world already, and we see it already. But it leads us to what will happen during the tribulation period when the Antichrist is in power and his false prophet is the pope or the leader of the religious world in that day. Look what it says in chapter 13, verse number 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him, power, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast." Now, this word happens multiple times, four or five times in this chapter, but I want you to see it. Here's the word. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. We know that's three and a half years. 
Jump down to verse number 8. And all that dwell, so it's universal, it is globalized, all that dwell upon the earth shall, here's the word again, worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, uh, book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Verse number 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein, here's the word, to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, I underline that word, miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image. By the way, you always can mark it. False religion and idolatry. It's always linked together. Man always wants to make himself an idol or himself an idol and worship it. He make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all both small and great. So it's universal again, this compulsory worship. Rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man and his number is six hundred, threescore and six. There's a lot of pressure today, and it's very popular and per uh, pervasive for everyone to come together. And that sounds good to our bleeding human heart. Let's just all come together. But can I say that is exactly what the devil wants in one sense of the word is for everyone, regardless of what the Bible says, to come together. There's a lot of things happening right now in our country. There's a movement, and it's become popular as of late. There's a movement, and it's happening on secular campuses, and it's all new age and emergent and charismatic. But they're saying revivals are breaking out on these campuses. But there's no preaching, and there's no repentance. And there's no doctrine. It's all worship, quote-unquote. What's interesting to me is that quote-unquote spontaneous revival that happened at the Asbury College. We used to live about 10 miles from there, and I say spontaneous in air quotes if you want to know. Happened right before this Jesus Revolution movie came out. Because in 1969 when that movement started, Asbury College had a revival in 1970. It's pretty good promotional material for a movie. Amen. And you see these things taking place. By the way, out of that movement came Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard Church and contemporary Christian music. All of that came out of that Jesus Revolution movement. But the push today is don't be divisive. Let's all just come together. Something happened today. In the United Arab Emirates, today it opened. It was proposed in 2019 during a year of tolerance when the Pope went and visited with a Muslim leader there. I read an article today, and CNN said it is stunning and provides a new center of worship. Here's what it's called, the Abrahamic Family House. 
Let me read you this. The United Arab Emirates has been pioneering interfaith, and that's the word, by the way, interfaith work in the Arab world for almost a decade. And it's been my privilege to have been involved over the years in the different initiatives, in particular the Abu Dhabi Forum for Peace, and more recently the activities of the United Arab Emirates Ministry of Tolerance. However, the most dramatic of these initiatives reached an historic milestone with the launch of the Abrahamic Family House, an exquisitely beautiful complex of three separate religious buildings, a mosque, a Catholic church, and a synagogue. Connected by a common space, including areas for conferences and exhibitions, as well as the administration of the center. The vision for this complex came from the historic visit of Pope Francis to the Emirates and the signing in 2019 of a declaration of human fraternity between the Pope and Sheikh Ahmed Al-Taib, the Grand Imam of Al-Hazar, the fountainhead of Sunni Muslim learning in the world. Above all, the vision was envisaged and facilitated by United Arab Emirates President Mohammed bin Zayed as the embodiment of the worldview and teaching of humanism and interreligious tolerance of his late father and the founder of the United Arab Emirates. The Abrahamic Family House is a beacon of mutual understanding, harmonious coexistence, and peace among people of faith. This landmark place for learning, dialogue, and worship will be a place of coexistent, interfaith worship. Now, I don't know if that sounds scary to you or not, but it ought to if you know your Bible. In this one location, there is a representation of what the world would say is Christianity. It's a Catholic church, but a Catholic church, a synagogue, and a mosque. A common area in the middle where they can all go to their separate places, worship, then come together and share their faith and learn from each other and then worship together. Jordan Peterson, who is fine, whatever you want to think about him, was interviewed on the Daily Wire, and he said the Abrahamic religions, which is the Muslim faith, the Christian faith, and the Jews, need to realize they have a lot more that brings them together than what separates them. After all, we all worship the same God. The word worship casts a big tent. But more than a big tent, I'm afraid the word worship is a big net. I want you to hear this clip. Brother Moyer, will you play the clip Clip number one. I think everybody that, that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. And I don't think that we're going to see a great sweeping uh, revival that will turn the whole world to Christ at any time. I think James answered that, the Apostle James, in the first council in Jerusalem, when he said that God's purpose for this age is to call out a people for his name. And that's what God is doing today. He's calling people for, out of the, the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. Uh, they are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but uh, they know in their heart that they need something that they don't have and they turn to the only light that they have. And I think that they are saved and that they're going to be with us in heaven. That's Billy Graham a long time ago. But that's the sentiment of the movement we see today. Exodus 32, 17 says Joshua and Moses come off the mountain. And here's what Joshua thought he heard. He said, there's a noise of war in the camp. What Joshua coined as the noise of war was actually this. Listen to me now, blended worship. It was the sound of simple carnally minded people trying to be spiritual 
by assimilating the ideology and methodology of Egypt with the theology of Jehovah. What they did is they cut off the authoritative voice of Moses and voted themselves in as the final authority. And they threw truth, true, uh, threw truth and error into a blender, and out came a golden calf in pagan worship. When I think about the noise of war, here's what I think of. When I think of the noise of war, I think about the sound of confusion. I think about the sound of anger. I think about the sound of lives being destroyed and foundations being removed. The noise of war is the sound of death. The anthem of apostasy and the hymn of heresy is absolutely the noise of war. It produces a mysterious sound and it worships a mysterious deity. If you have ears to hear, then you already know the war echoes everywhere. It's in our streets, it's on our social streams, it's in our schools, and it's in our churches. And I believe as the end draws near, the noise of war will be amplified and the fight for truth will be intensified. The battle between truth and error is this. The battle between truth and error is the battle against allowing the two to blend together. It's the battle of assimilation. If you have an ocean of truth and drop an ounce of error into it, you no longer have any truth at all. Now you simply have a big ocean of heresy. Assimilation means this, to become absorbed by something, to conform or adjust to the customs, attitudes, etc. of a dominant group. I read a quote, and I like it. It said, the heresy of one age becomes the orthodoxy of the next age. And you can study, and historically, you can see it proven that often what the former generation fights against, the following generation embraces. And it doesn't embrace it in small numbers. Rather, it embraces that error in droves. In 2 Peter 2, 2, the Bible said, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Just a little leaven ruins an entire loaf of bread. And just a little bit of heresy wreaks havoc on the faith once delivered to the saints. In these last days, here's the mindset. You better be not so audacious as to divide over Bible doctrine. And you better not be so narrow-minded as to not blend together over experience. Everyone seems to be fine to just go ahead and sow tares among the wheat. The push in these days is to yoke together anything and everything that claims to be spiritual, whether it contradicts the Bible or not. Here's the language of our hour. We all love the same God. We're all going to the same place. We all want what's best for our society. God wants peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We can do a lot more good if we all just come together. Liberal Christianity, and by the way, I hate to even give it the honor of calling it Christian, but liberal Christianity has adopted the love wins moniker. And they're ready to sacrifice truth on this altar of assimilation. Back in November of last year, there was a meeting at Mount Sinai. I don't know if you've read about this or not, but the Pope was there, a leading imam was there, a Hindu leader was there, a rabbi was there, a woman, I don't know what she believes, probably feminist, well, she was there. And they put out a promotional video. And at first it had the Pope, I believe in Jesus Christ. Then it had the Imam, I believe in Allah. Then it had the Hindu, I believe in whatever they believe in. And it had another one, I believe in this, that, and the other. But then it came back around, they gave some information, and they all changed their statement, and they all said this, I believe in love. And they all met at Mount Sinai, and they had a big summit 
on the, in November of 2022, an interfaith call to action where they issued a new Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. Actually, they called it Ten Universal Principles for Climate Justice. And they issued that from the very place God gave His law. That's what's happening today. Brother Moore, play that second clip. I want you to hear this clip. This just came out a week ago. Listen to this. Okay. God is a lesbian. God is trans. God is gender non-binary. God is straight. God is cisgender. God is black. God oh is white. God is Middle Eastern. God is Asian. God is differently abled mentally and physically. God is able-bodied. God is you. And you are God because you are a reflection of God's divine image. It reminds me if you ever read in 2 Kings 16 of King Ahaz. He was so impressed with the Assyrian's pagan altar that he called back and had him build him one there at the house of God and began to worship just like the pagans did. And let me say that practice, what that weirdo was saying there, I was going to call him a gay priest. I don't know what he is. What he's doing there is not love. Love is not embracing error. Love is anchored in truth, and love is keep truth. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If ye love me, keep my command. But the trending thought in theology is this. I can worship with or worship like people who believe differently than me, still bring glory to God, and maintain doctrinal purity. Well, that's an asinine statement for a couple of reasons. Number one, it contradicts my Bible command to stay away from those that are causing division contrary to the doctrine I've learned. And if I violate Romans 16, 17, I can't bring glory to God. And secondly, the danger of bad fellowship is this. Every time bad fellowship births bad doctrine Galatians 5 7 you did run well who did hinder you that you should obey not the truth remember tonight the devil's a great deceiver and way back in Eden what he used to beguile Eve was deception and he did not use secular deception he didn't sell her a bag of dope he didn't give her some sort of sin that would make headlines in the newspaper he offered her something that would make her seem more spiritual he got her with assimilation. He disguised himself as one who loved Eve and one who loved God and said, if you'll just bend a little bit, we can both elevate ourselves and become more spiritual in the process. There's a push today against anyone or any place with a definite doctoral position and resolve to let their position dictate their fellowship and divide from those that don't line up with their position. I read a statement by a neo-Catholic priest, and here's what he said. I have come to believe that diversity is divine. It is division that is diabolic. God's glory glues us together, not doctrine. If you go back and study the Tower of Babel, it shows us the devil attempted to destroy the world, not by division, but by yoking everyone together. In Genesis 11, the whole world was one language, one speech. And they decided to make this globalized force and erect a pyramid to elevate themselves to almost godlike status. It was a tower, in reality, to idolize and immortalize man. So what does God do? God steps in and breaks up their fellowship meeting, and God installs separation. Here is the ideology of the day. I must increase, God must decrease. And God's remedy for that is to scatter man and cause division. The nation of Israel over and over again 
failed due to this yoking up or blending together with the paganism around them. And over and over again, God judged them for that sin. This Antichrist is not the spirit of division. It's the spirit of assimilation. And it's heavily active in our world today. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 and 10. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Tonight, I want to humbly warn us, heavily warn us about assimilation. I'm talking about being doctrinally negotiable and spiritually undiscerning. We cannot afford to lose doctrinal distinction and melt down in this ecumenical melting pot of our day. The noise of war is all around us, and we can't be able to, we can't allow it to sweep us off with its melody and march off to its beat. Now, what is the tie that binds us? I'm going slower, just give you, what, what's the tie that binds us or yokes us? Mysticism, the occult, Christianity, all these religions of the world. What is it? It's not doctrine. I believe it's this. I believe it's worship. The parallels are so stunning between Christianity and what we would call mystery Babylon. And it's owed to assimilation. Not every movement is Christian. Not every source of media is Christian. Not every meeting is Christian. Not every messenger who says he's a Christian is a Christian. Not every voice that names the name of Christ knows Christ. The infiltration of true Christianity by satanic philosophy and methodology was real in the first century and is very real and rampant today. Heresy is always on the hunt for an undiscerning heart. Second John 1 and verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Here it is. The word that is causing, in my opinion, so much damage today as far as Christians are concerned is not the word abortion. It is not the word drugs. It is not the word alcohol. But the word that is sweeping so many unaware people under the ground floor of the coming one world religion is the word worship. Worship is such a potent thing for the devil to use because here it is. Worship is expressive. Worship is emotional. And worship is personal. And in this judge not era that we live in, we can't allow ourselves to cast any kind of shade or doubt on the way somebody worships. What does this shift from truth to spirit matter anyway? Think about it. What does it matter? And who are we to judge if Baptist people want to worship like charismatics? Why does it matter? Why does it matter if Baptist people want to set the mood in their auditorium like a new ager does? What's it matter? What does it matter if Baptist people want to make idols like the Catholics do? What's it matter? What's it matter if we want to trip out and have an experience like those Eastern mysticism religions? What's it matter? What's it matter that there's a great disconnect from doctrine and this strong attachment to feelings and experience? I say it matters more than we know. And I don't think it's preferential and I don't think it's even denominational. I think it's all pointing to something that is coming. In all things, it's wise to consider the end of a thing and where it's going to take you. 
Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them in them a, his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. If you look around today, I promise you this, you will find the word worship more than you see almost any other spiritual sounding word when it comes to Christianity. You'll find the word worship more than the word gossip, gospel. You'll find the more word worship more than the word Lord. You'll find the word worship more than hell. You'll hear the word worship more than the word salvation. And you talk to baby Christians today, and what they talk about when they comment on a church is not the sermon, it's not the offering, it's not even the choir. What they want to talk about is the worship. It's been a trend for a long time in more liberal strains of Christianity. They don't build churches. Now they build worship centers. Hillsong United podcast is called Worship Together. Modern Christianity is almost entirely built off of worship. I was listening to some Christians testify, or people testify as they came out of some of these new meetings. And what they were saying is the worship was off the charts. Now I'm for it, and it's a Bible word. But what we mean when we say worship today is concert. You know, worship in the Bible is not always singing. In fact, it's distinct from singing in many of the Psalms. They sang and they worshiped. Different. They, when they talk about worship, it's always the song, it's always the beat, it's always the emotion, it's always the adrenaline, it's always the euphoric, uh, ecstatic experience. They never talk about Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2, they don't talk about sacrifice, they don't talk about soul winning, they don't talk about service, they don't talk about sanctification, same in right there, they don't talk about prayer, it's all about the atmosphere. Now worship's a great word, but we have to understand what do they mean. It's not just the atmosphere, that's not just worship, and in these last days, we need discernment to uncover what's hiding beneath the mask of the word. It's interesting how much scrutiny that more liberal crowd will give to a sermon and cut it apart and say, well, that wasn't out of the Bible, and yet they don't get any, put any scrutiny in the area of their songs. They'll absolutely tear a message apart from a Bible preacher and say, well, he took that out of context. And they sing four hours worth of songs that have zero Bible content or context at all. Because it's all about the experience. Now listen, there's no hope of a universal religion on the grounds of doctrine. I said it last week. You're not going to yoke a Catholic and Baptist together if the Baptist knows his Bible. You're not going to yoke a Baptist and a Pentecostal together if the Baptist knows his Bible. You're not going to yoke a Baptist and a Presbyterian, Calvinist, five point. You're not going to yoke them together if he knows his Bible. I'm not going to go to a yoga class or play with a Ouija board or, or get my, my chakras going. You know, I'm not going to do that if I know my Bible. So we're not going to yoke up on doctrinal grounds, but you better believe folks are ready to yoke up when it comes to worship. There's a movement now. It's called the Renewal Movement. And the term is, they don't say blended worship, it's convergent worship. And they're saying that what they do is they take these two renewal movements of the 21st century, the renewal movement in the Catholic and Protestant realm, they yoke it together, and this renewal movement in the charismatic realm, and those two streams wind their way through history, and then finally they converge now in our day, and they come together to create a more authentic worship experience. And what they're doing is, on the, uh, from their own tenets, they're trying to bring the arts, A-R-T-S, the arts, back into worship. What are the arts? Well, most of that's demonic. Amen. Satanic. 
And that's even in their mission statement. What it is, it is Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel being realized again today, and that's exactly what happens in the last days. I don't want to, I'm not trying to offend anybody if you're here today, and it's fine, but Pope Francis made the statement, there is a hidden sea of goodness that is growing and leads us to hope and dialogue, reciprocal knowledge, and the possibility of building together with the followers of other religions and all men and women of goodwill a world of fraternity and peace. Now, if you take the time to study the book of Revelation, you find Mystery Babylon mentioned there. It's as old as the Garden of Eden, and it encompasses every false religion to ever exist, and it's going to be fully established during this tribulation period. Revelation 17, you can turn there with me in your Bible, in verse number 5, it talks about it. I want you to see what it says. Revelation 17, verse number 5. Look what it says. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. When this world is run by the Antichrist, all the masses of earth are going to be brought under a globalized government, but they'll also be coerced to assimilate in a globalized worship, in a globalized religion. The devil is a master counterfeiter. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet. God has his church. The, the devil has the synagogue of Satan. There's a whole Holy Spirit, there's a seducing spirit. And in the last days, there's a strong movement to get everything in place for the man of sin to rule politically and the false prophet to rule religiously. It's Mystery Babylon. It's a one world government, a one world religion. Muslims with Hindus, Buddhists with Catholics, mystics with esoterics, Judaizers and pagans, Christians and occultists coexisting, worshiping together. We read it in Revelation chapter 13, verse 15 through 17, but I want you to see it again just so we can read it. Verse 13, or rather chapter 13, verse 15 through 17. I want you to see what the false prophet does. It sounds like your average million-dollar man on the charismatic television channel. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the beast of the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. You see, that's why today, and let me tie this up and I'll close in a little bit. It's, that is why today there is such an intense push and almost mandatory acceptance being forced upon us to blend, blur, and assimilate. Not just in religion, but in our nation. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. And it works on two fronts, politically and religiously. We keep getting these things in the mail. mail pastor keeps putting them on my desk to discourage me, or tick me off and get ready to preach. But they're addressed to him. I don't know what you've been looking into, Pastor, but... I 
It's perfect, though. It's called In His Name. And if you were just to look at it, you wouldn't know what this was advertising. Maybe candidates for a bus route or something. I don't know. But In His Name. This one says Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Training. When are we going to do that, by the way? Anyhow, we got that. And then this one's about protecting your religious liberty in your employee policies and hiring practices. But you read the back of it, and it talks about celebrating diversity, equity, that's a good word, and inclusion, but from a biblical perspective. I doubt there's much biblical perspective in it, though. What they're doing is they're trying to come in under the guise of Christianity. What are they promoting, though? Social justice. Why is it, listen to me now, why is it, what's, why the push to remove borders from sovereign nations? Why? Why the push for removing the distinction of the sexes? Why is there a push for the removal of the idea of gender in our society? Why is that? Why is there a push civically toward blending and blurring everything so that we can assimilate into a globalized government with a global set of values and one universal leader? Why is it does, it does it seem all the politicians there are pushing for one united global nation and now man has no sovereignty, nations have no sovereignty, but there will be one sovereign governing board of this somewhere or another. Why is that? No more sovereignty of anything except for a self-appointed sovereign. The same thing, though, is happening on the spiritual front. He mentioned on Sunday Joe Biden is, is using this as a promotional thing that he has the most diverse cabinet. Well, what does that even matter? Well, it does matter because it's a little sample of what they're doing on the global scale of bringing together all these different things, jugging them into one body, and they all lose their identity in that cabinet, but it's inclusive and diverse in the full spectrum of representation. The same thing's happening, though, on the spiritual front. Now, don't get mad at a Bible preacher who cries out and says, hold the line. Or stands on the wall as a watchman and says, watch out, because here's what he's trying to do, keep you out of that undertow. The devil still is selling his yea hath God said theology. And we see the overwhelming blends in this, I'll call it a trans movement in Christianity, just as strong as in our culture. The sentiment is denominations don't matter, doctrines divisive, God is bigger than your beliefs, and we all worship the same God. We're all God's children, so let's just get along and coexist. Uh, don't uh, mix in a little bit of truth with our fun. Let's just worship. And they might not be protesting rapid, rapidly in the streets like we see all the time, but they're worshiping rapidly in sanctuaries. It's the same spirit. It's the same movement, just on a different front. And the average place, the average place who called itself a church today gave its mission statement, it would have to say this, be your own God. Never mind what God has to say. Creflo Dollar, Creflo Dollar was preaching at a Genesis on, on, on creation. And he said this one, they, they reproduced after their kind, reproduced after their kind. He said, but then God created Adam. He said, so what did God make? He said, if a horse births a horse and a cow births a cow. He said, then that must mean God. What did he make? He said, he made gods. He said, you know what that means? You can look up the click. He said, that means you're a God. That is Satanism. That's in our churches. Next Wednesday, we'll talk about the four heresies in these churches, I promise. But we have got to see how all of this is building and growing, and it matters. It's not just an old backward preacher who's mad at everything and jealous because this is bigger or flashier. That's not what it is if he's got a true heart. It's that he might see some things. 
And not just see where it is, but see where it's headed. And it's a shame to me. We wouldn't go down the street to some crazy church and take part in their worship ceremony. But then we invite some of that stuff. If we're not careful, we'll invite some of that stuff in. And before long, it won't even be around anymore. I believe right now the devil's doing this probably fiercer than he's done it in a while. All this stuff is happening right now. All that heretical stuff and these movies and now Hollywood's idolizing these things and making money off of it. And it's all moving. And all of that stuff was the genesis of the new age contemporary hippie Christianity movement. And folks are flocking to it from Bible-believing churches saying, boy, that was good right there. That was good right there. I tell you what, you better learn your Bible. And I need to learn my Bible so that we can have discernment in these days. Not everything that says it's Christian is Christian. And one of these days, many are going to be deceived and worship what they would never imagine they'd be willing to worship. And that's going to happen before we know it. I'm glad we'll be out of here. It's going to be a bad day one of these days. God help us to be faithful and hold the line. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.